Welcome to the Authentic Life Podcast. My name is Satwa and I'm here to help you seek, speak, and live your truth daily. This podcast is for the sincere spiritual seeker who is ready to explore the deeper, sometimes uncomfortable truths of their psyche and spirit without the spiritual bypassing. I'm here to empower you with the psychological teachings and spiritual insights to help you live your most authentic life. I'm so excited to share this space with you. Thanks for pressing play. Let's begin. Hi, Seeker. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 12 of the Authentic Life podcast. This episode is on political awakening, and this is a topic that I've I talked about last week, and some great conversations happened around it, and it was just after the abortion ban, and right before Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, so I'm recording this um, because I it came to my attention that this is you know, um, a quality of awakening that maybe uh, had started for you or maybe it's like hitting a a peak buildup. But either way, um, it occurred to me that this, this is an intense experience. And I guess the intensity for me that the point of attention, like the like the the pinnacle of the intensity for me, has already passed. But I can I can still feel the like existential <laughs> dread or the existential crisis that many of us are are feeling right now. As you know, the the rug is kind of being swept from underneath us um we are witnessing our empire (laughs) collapse from from the outside it's it's crumbling and it can feel very scary um of course it's um super destabilizing right i feel pretty destabilized by it um it can feel like kind of like a numbing to it or like a frozen like a freeze response so it's it's like a spiritual awakening which like I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this um you know what it's like right a spiritual any spiritual awakening or spiritual transformation experience is full of growing pains <laughs> and um it can feel really lonely so you're not alone um you're definitely not alone because i'm right there with you and there are many of us um in in this just in this community alone there are hundreds hundreds of us going through more or less the the same thing so political awakening has its own kind of you know special brand of mind fuckery um because there's so much new information coming through about the world like 
maybe you had no idea about it or you were ignorant to it and it just feels impossible to like even hold that amount of information like a lot of information is coming through to us and it's it's feels really dense and difficult to process um and then to think about how it's all connected and like my role in it I mean it's a lot and on top of that there's so much suffering and like growing pains around that where witnessing the suffering of humanity and holding it is really fucking heavy and it's a lot to hold for one person so if you're feeling overwhelmed by it all just want to validate that it's it's because it's a lot it's too much actually um but like I said you're not alone and I'm happy to be at a point where I feel a lot more stabilized and grounded and um I can definitely offer some recommendations suggestions based on my experience so I'm so glad you're here I think this might be a longer episode so just stretch your legs out um this is gonna be a really wonderful I'm I'm just I'm I'm excited to offer this transmission of non-dual spiritual teachings based on how I've interpreted and applied it to my life that really really helped me through some of like the darkest hours of my political awakening so I think you'll really enjoy it without further ado let's get into it I want to start by giving a brief background of my own political journey and how I kind of got called into this work of spiritual activism which by the way I am a novice okay so I'm still learning and I have so much to learn um But I think you'd be surprised to learn that I grew up, like, for the most part, totally disengaged from politics. I didn't think that politics was relevant to me at all. I kind of grew up with this attitude of, like, ugh, I hate politics, rolling my eyes. I hated it because I knew it was full of hypocrisy, and I hated that. I also hated it because I didn't understand it, and, and I didn't understand it because I didn't really bother to. I didn't bother to learn too much about politics. I didn't bother to bother myself because I didn't have to, truth be told. I grew up incredibly privileged. I got very, very lucky with the circumstances that I was born into. My family escaped the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, And we, we got out of Armenia right before the Soviet Union collapsed and the country was still, I mean, the country has still not recovered from it. And, and many families didn't escape, right? And if my family wasn't able to, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be afforded with the comfortable and secure life that I have. And as a daughter of immigrant family, because we're so tight-knit and community-made, by proxy, I made it. I made it in this country without having to struggle to make it, right? Whatever that means. To me, it means being comfortable and having a lot of privileges. So 
I wouldn't get involved in, in politics um, because I because politics never prevented me from what I wanted to do, be, and have. It was my thinking. So of course now I know that it does, <laughs> that politics is woven into every aspect of my being and my life. Um, but I just didn't have the maturity um, to understand that. Not just maturity, but the the ignorance, right? The ignorance is a big part of it. Because sitting high up on the privilege ladder does that. It makes you pretty fucking ignorant. Because uh, you just don't have to deal with it. Um, and, and I think much of that is done on purpose. Like to our generation, especially millennials, are, are for the most part um, very politically disengaged. We are the most politically disengaged generation of any generation before us and the one after us and so I'm not ashamed of the fact that I was so ignorant and oblivious because that was just that was that is our social and cultural socio-political conditioning so the first time I did anything political was the Obama campaign in 2008 um, and then I became even more disillusioned because there was like a lot of overpromise and under under delivering during Obama's presidency, and I just became more disengaged. Um, and then I went on my spiritual journey like eight years ago, and that was it. I I didn't even have the energy to care about anything other than my healing and my personal evolution because I was in such a state I had so many issues with my mental health I felt I felt broken and like damaged and like I needed to fix myself and you can't you can't care about anyone else in a meaningful way especially like a bigger cause if you are abusing yourself and it was and so what happened to me was actually pretty unique well actually okay so let me let me back up my first political awakening I and I'm sure many of us can relate was during BLM the summer of 2020 which at this point seems like forever ago because <laughs> um, I feel like such a different person from that point but BLM was definitely a wake-up call, you know. It, it forced many of us, myself included, to acknowledge our privilege, um, our positionality in the world, and acknowledge that social and structural limitations were placed on BIPOC and minority communities and, and the cultural and political violence that was committed against them. And... I mean, I think that was an important turning point for us culturally. I don't even want to get into I don't even know if I should get into this right now. But the way I feel about BLM is that it was it was a really big miss. Actually, it is kind of related to the next point. It does. It really does set some context because that was when our culture war really catalyzed um, and it had been building like the infrastructure to 
to have that war had been building since 2016. Um, and it culminated into BLM and 2016, yeah, right before uh, Trump, right? And it, and it culminated into BLM and the hate machine was kind of already there. And so we were forced to take a side um, in that culture war because that infrastructure was still was still there. And of course, uh, social media <laughs> It was such a huge part of that hate infrastructure, right? Your social media was used, was weaponized as a tool for mass control and social destruction, whether it was through the dissemination of misinformation, blame Russia for that, or through the algorithm of hyperpolarization, through a lot of performative activism, Slacktivism, although I've been told that that's not, that I shouldn't use that term. Because social media does help to like engage people even superficially because then some people from there will be even more engaged, right? So it, it does help to spread awareness, but change happens in the real world, right? Social media is not a real place, it's a virtual reality. And we kind of fucked ourselves up by, by, by the entire movement being so virtual, right? Uh, like, we kind of have to face that. And like I said, it's not entirely our fault because of the infrastructure that was already there. But we also, I, I think that we just didn't have, like, right leadership, so in COVID, at the same time, made it even more, maybe more impossible to like really unify, right? We were like unified for a second and then, and then we were pitted against each other. And it's really, really sad. Um, it's very, very sad because that was, I think, our moment to like grab a hold of the hate machine and um, and yet yeah, tame it, but we missed that. We missed that opportunity, and now we are paying for it, right? Because violence brings more violence, and all forms of violence are connected. Um. So. Yeah. Now I think I hope. I hope that we can unify because this like divide and conquer strategy is not helping us out um yeah we are witnessing the effects of it uh really cause some damage some political and social damage and, and violence too, cultural and political violence being inflicted against women. Um, and that is uh, maddening to think about because it's, it's just going to get worse <laughs> before it gets better. Um, I, I, 
absolutely didn't wish that it was this way. But I really think that the next like 10 years are probably going to be worse. And then things will shift around in 30 or so years. And don't ask me how I calculated that. It's just based on anyway. Um, there are some really tall tale patterns of empires that collapsed before. And there's a trend, right? And now it's, it's our turn, the American empire. Um, and that's all due to this hate machine. The hate machine is bigger than any one country. It's a global hate machine. And it is part of a network of far-right, authoritarian, ultra-nationalistic dictatorship of fascist ideology. It, it peaked in the 20th century and we're still in it as a collective operating within this fascist ideology. And it's led to, not surprisingly, the complete dissolution of democracy. We are... We don't have a democracy because for that we would need to have meritocracy and we certainly don't. And we basically are in a modern autocracy um, and it's spreading all over the world and it will be a very interesting period of time for us. So uh, yeah, this is welcome to your next level of political awakening. Um, so if you're listening to this, you have probably acknowledged that the hate machine is in fact infiltrating our culture, our consciousness, our lives. And that can be really overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed. Um, but I, I also feel cautiously optimistic. I think that's more of a survival thing though. <laughs> Um, but I will say that um, if you're in a period of time where you feel so overwhelmed that you don't know what to do, like if you're asking, I, I had a, a few people uh, reflect this, that they don't really know what to do, like that, that's the first question that comes up, right? What do I do? What can I do? And that is what this next section of the podcast will be about. So the first impulse that we have when we have our political awakening is, what do I do? We want to do something, right? We see a problem, we want to fix it, or at least contribute to it, or to the solution. And that's partially because the alternative of that feeling is helplessness, and it's really uncomfortable to sit with that, feeling helpless. Um, so we want to do something to relieve some of that helplessness, right? And, and it helps us feel like we are regaining some sense of control over a situation that feels so out of control. So that's a natural thing, and I, and I think a good place to be, actually, because... First of all, it shows that you care about a cause. You're moved into action from, from a state of inaction. And here's the thing with that. Um, 
And again, this is just me speaking from my own experience and my observations. So I realized that I also wanted to share a bit about the political awakening that I had back in 2020, uh, where it sort of like brought me to the absolute darkest places of my humanity and how I kind of came through that on the other side to with a with a sense of renewed sense of sort of purpose and I wanted to share that but I think um I think it might just come up when I'm talking in this next section so right so what what do I do and there's there's a few like levels of action that happen from that place one is driven by fear and anger and that's more of like a reaction and that can be cathartic and and temporarily (laughs) relieve some feelings of stress and helplessness but I think ultimately it's it's superficial because a not only is it because it can be very performative and even if it's not performative the feeling of having to like the feeling of being pushed into something you know posting on social media or or you know just getting like lashing out about it uh, projecting it um it's you know it's it, it leads to a it's not sustainable enough to make any lasting change and also another one could be making like a charitable donation, right? We just like, okay, here, take my money. Which like, of course, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that those are not helpful. Again, not, it's not that this is not helpful at all, except, you know, the, the performative one, the complete performative one, that's not, you know, who needs that, right? Um, but it leads to burnout, primarily, Okay, so it's performative, and even when it's not performative, it's so it's so charged, and it's so like done with like this place of just like f- being fearful, angry, or really sad. It um, we burn out, and you know that also happens a lot with like first responders to a crisis. They devote themselves to a cause for like a few months, and then they just can't take that level of pressure anymore I mean who could so they pull out and again not to say that making donations or being like first response like is not like these actions don't matter of course they do everything matters except for the performative activism I think although I'm open to somebody arguing with why it does matter why performative activism could actually be a helpful um I guess to raise some level of awareness yeah I guess you could so I don't want to be like dogmatic about it and say like reactionary activism is pointless that's not my place to say that at all um just but just from my own personal experience when I was speaking from a reactive place of anger and hurt and not the place of where I'm at now, which is empathic rage. <laughs> um, that other way of reactive rage was very destructive, like 
just wanted to burn the whole thing down, burn the systems to the fucking ground. And it, it ended up actually alienating myself and a lot of people. People didn't understand me. This was back at the end of 2020 when I was screaming about the war. And I felt so misunderstood then. Um, and I couldn't quite articulate myself about what was even going on because I was like in it. So I couldn't even like really articulate myself about it. So... It didn't call people in um, and I had to really learn the skills of um, nonviolent communication. I had to teach myself that, uh, which is still part of my practice. Um, so nonviolent, so now that I am speaking from a more conscious place where like I'm able to channel my empathic anger in into something a lot more constructive right and it I feel more grounded and I can be patient and strategic and slow and steady um, instead of reactive and, and like burn myself out so I think that's one thing that we need to come to uh, understanding and acceptance is that this is a slow and steady race. Um, social change is a slow burn. It is frustratingly slow. And I think we have to accept that who knows if we will even reap the rewards of it in this lifetime. Right. Look at like the Armenian diaspora. It took us 106 years of resisting genocide denial for the U.S. government to finally call it what it is. This shit takes a long time. Maybe maybe we'll start moving quickly as we get the hang of it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a small victory in a grand scheme of things and if you lose sight of that bigger picture it can feel really overwhelming and lead to burnout so there's a what is that uh chinese proverb i think it's chinese forgive my ignorance if it's not but it's a saying that that, that goes uh something to the effect of planting ah, i'm blanking out of planting trees whose shade you will not get to enjoy. Something like that, right? So <laughs> that just speaks to how slow it is and how service, real public service, it requires a level of patience um, and also acceptance that your actions are not going to seem like they matter because it's slow. So all this to say, in terms of what to do, look, there's a lot to be done, okay? The, the work is the work is the work. It's an insurmountable work 
that needs to take place between now and the next, I don't know, 30 years. And it would be a world of work at any point that you jump into it. Um, So you're not late. You're not going to be too late. I mean, we are a little bit late as a generation because of what I was talking about earlier. But you yourself, you're not late. We're We're not late to anything. Because at any point when we jump in, there's a lot to do. Um, So of course, there are some really important things you can do right now, like reaching out to your local and state legislators who care about the issues that you care about. Um, I'm starting to be more involved in my local city council because I think that's the most important, important part of it is joining some organization efforts that are supporting the right people to be in charge. And again, it starts at it starts at the local level. But more importantly, I think it starts at the individual level. And that doesn't mean that you know, we have to retreat and navel gaze because I think it's important to still like be as active as you can just to surround yourself with people who care, right? Even if, it's a, even if it's following accounts that are holding important conversations and talking about the same causes that you care about, right? And then there's volunteering, there's lobbying. I mean, there's so much you can do. But, and, like I said, it, it, the, the individual level that it starts at is what's going to move you into action. Um, I, I had a pin in that thought because there was something I wanted to mention about the work. Ah, yeah. So it's, like I said, overwhelming amount of work. Um, and you might not know where to, to start. And there might be a restlessness that comes with that, right? This feeling of like, I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. I'm just sitting here. What am I doing? I'm not doing anything. I want you to take a deep breath. And first and foremost, I want you to know that whatever you do, in terms of your activism, it's never going to feel like enough. It's never going to be enough because the work is so insurmountable because the point of planting the tree is not so you can enjoy it it's so others will enjoy that shade long after you're gone right that's the real public service that comes from this wholesome action um, that's more long-term and patient because you are in it, right? And you don't, you don't look back from that. It just becomes integrated into your being. And that takes time, right? So first of all, if you don't feel like you're doing enough, guess what? You're never going to feel like you're doing enough. That's just the nature of activism. So be frustrated. But it's not you. It's the fact that the activism and social change social change is such a long endeavor so of course this doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything right it is our social responsibility 
to do something. Um, but again, it's more, it, it starts as a responsibility to the self, right? To your social self, to your social self, to the, the, to the part of you that wants to nurture a, a relationship with others as well as the flora and fauna and God and the divine. So it starts from that level of responsibility. And you can't really be pushed into that because again, like that causes us to react out of anger or fear um, and be performative and lead to, lead to burnout. But if you are feeling like you don't know what to do next, if you're feeling kind of like frozen and feeling like maybe what you're doing is performative or is leading to a lot of fatigue and you're not feeling energized by it and you're, you have this like, you're, you, have, you feel dread, right? Then that's an indication that maybe, maybe, again, just speaking from my personal experience, it's, a, it's a, simply a possibility that you have not fully processed your political awakening and because you haven't fully processed it, you're not integrated with it yet and you're not quite embodied in the experience because like I said, it, it takes a while to integrate all of this. And once you are integrated, the, the doing happens. It, it happens on its own. Like you become the doing. You are the doing. The doing becomes a expression through your being and I think that can happen only when you've like really fully integrated uh, with the experience of your political awakening at least that's how it's happened for me Um, and every quality of awakening requires this kind of incubation period right but I, I think the political awakening is more because there's so much to learn and you're like learning right and to really honor that learning period um so honoring it means you know being present for it showing up for it and then and then taking time to reflect and internally process um new information and allow it to shift and change slowly your the quality of your life And if that period gets missed, um, we can end up making decisions that are not in alignment with our values, right? Because the values themselves are, are, are possibly shifting. So this incubation period, I think for every sacred activist is an important part uh, opportunity to really reflect on what you've learned you know get clear about your values refine your mission let go of old habits and patterns and ideas that no longer serve your mission and then you move and that movement happens without much effort it just unfolds as a natural progression and expression of you 
so what not to do when we're going through a, a transformation because clearly at that at that point you know something something is shaking our reality and what not to do is to make some any any major life decision right it, we can be like called to quit our job start a new business make a huge investment jump from one cult to another um, my partner refers this to as jumping from the frying pan into the fryer so you want to hold off on any making making any major life decisions because your mind is confused we don't make good decisions under pressure when we're scared um, I think of the spiritual transformation as like a snow globe that you shake up and all those little particles are like chaotically swimming around everywhere. Like that's what my spiritual transformations have always felt like. And anytime I made a decision in that state, I've always backtracked from it eventually because I'm just not thinking clearly, right? I don't, we don't have clear insight. That's an incubation period. We're not supposed to really make decisions. We're supposed to process um the this new change these shifts so if your mind is in that kind of chaos and confusion chill chill out and let the dust settle and just wait okay activism is not something that you should feel rushed to or pushed into because like i said if you really want your efforts to be meaningful if you're in it for the long run if you want to plant that tree that others are going to enjoy long after you're gone you need to be rested and slow and strategic and joyful a lot of it comes from joy and that's the transmutation that can happen between sadness slash anger and empathy and joy and here's something important to remember activism is not so much in the doing because like you know we think activism right you act but it's just as important to not do what you're not doing is just as important And that not doing part of it is the resistance aspect of it. The resistance that happens when you choose not to participate in the systems and the infrastructures that are contributing to social harm uh, and and self-harm. When you decide that you are no longer going to be part of the problem, right? And you choose to dismantle the ways that you have internalized these systems and these institutions into your way of being. And I think that's where spiritual activism really begins. It, it's, it needs to begin there because that's ultimately the space where the processing and the integrating and the incubation happens for your activism to be sustainable for the long term and that's what we're going to talk about next when i asked my zen teacher for guidance on what to do during that war when i was like deep in my despair i felt so helpless i felt so alone 
I didn't even know what was going on. Like I, I went from having a political awakening that forced me to acknowledge my positionality in the world to one where I'm literally consuming like the the worst images of the the not just I mean the images yes but I'm just seeing the absolute worst of of humankind like that war was really really gruesome and dark and I was like what so it was like a war between and in, in, it was a war in a war in a war because it was like there was a war going on a physical war going on there was a digital a, a social media war going on because the uh, the as, as Azerbaijan government uh, launched a massive social media campaign of disinformation and so like I was fighting with these bot farms it was really weird and then there was the culture war right because um, Trump was stoking the flames and and COVID like Russia was pumping misinformation disinformation about COVID so it was a trip. Um, I had no idea where I like what was happening, what I was going through. I just had a very hard landing. And I remember telling my teacher, like, I don't know what to do because I don't even know what's going on. Like I'm not even I'm not doing anything because I'm even I don't even know what to think because I had like thought anxiety. Like I was afraid of thinking about it because it would acknowledge how real it was and it, it was like my own thoughts were scaring me and so if I don't know what I, how to think I'm not even gonna know what to do right and I, t I remember telling him I don't even know who I am anymore like I don't know who I am and he looked at me with like a smirk on his face and he was like good <laughs> and of course I laughed because it was such a teaching moment because he's like he's the one who trained me on the Rinzai Zen method of self-inquiry where we ask who is in, who am I? And here I am like asking it for real <laughs> in a real situation instead of a simulated one in a retreat setting. So I was like, of course, of course, this is why we practice right and the practice is the practice is the practice and i and i trust that practice and my teacher simply reminded me of it and i i sat in the discomfort of the unknown the undefinable the the unknowable <laughs> the mysterious place within myself and see what unfolds from there. And so I pass that wisdom on to you because indeed for me, that quality of transformation has brought me so much closer to my myself, my humanity, others, and God. And this... So... When you sit with this question, 
when I sat with this question, who was in, it really called me into notice all the ways that I had created a sense of separateness between myself and others. And that separateness showed up in the way that I felt superior or inferior to others, in the way that I tried to control and manipulate others, in the way that I internalized a very egocentric, self-serving, individualistic way of being. And it was very confronting and uncomfortable to sit, to really sit with that and allow it to be my truth. And I mean, it, it really cracked me open. It, it cracked me right open. It, it brought me down to my hands and knees and it, it forced me to surrender to, to all of it, to my shame, to my fear, to my doubt, to my grief, to my anger and my terror, I mean everything. And I, and I remember my, my heart felt so raw and, and tender and exposed. Like it still feels pretty tender, but like I had to, it's like I had to barricade it. Uh, I was in such a deep place of vulnerability that I had really never felt before. And I'm getting emotional talking about it. I, um, I just allowed it to be what is and I, and I showed up in, in community spaces, you know, protecting my vulnerability, but um, showing up in, in spaces that felt unfamiliar to me where I, where I felt like I previously didn't belong and forcing myself, <laughs> so to speak, to find belonging. And when I wouldn't find belonging, it was just such an indication, right, that I felt separate. And so to keep looking at that separateness and to keep asking who is in and to keep showing up, um, and I learned so much um, in these spaces, particularly the black queer communities. And I felt belonging there and I started to relate more deeper, deep, much more deeply. And I'm, this is happening over time, right? This is not just like overnight. But I put myself there because I wanted to notice what was happening? Who was happening? Um, and I noticed that over time, the quality of my life started to change. The quality of my relationships and my connections to people started to change. And it was a, it was a very slow and subtle shift that took place over a course of a year. And it's dissolved a sense of separateness, I mean, not completely, obviously, you know, not in this enlightened space, like, no, I just feel the quality of the separateness dissolving in the way that I relate to others, to the world, and in how vulnerable uh, I feel. And I had to really work on that because 
you know, we've been conditioned to barricade our hearts and not in a way to protect it, but in a way to defend our hearts. And it, it's, it's, it's prevented us from really feeling the depths of our humanity because there's so much pain there. I don't know why there is so much pain there. I mean, there is also pleasure, right? And they're part of the same energy. But we are afraid to go there. We're afraid to go deep into that part of ourselves that is the most vulnerable to our humanity, our human suffering. And, and if we can't tap into it and, and fully feel that rawness, and if we really like deny ourselves that, that messy and raw and shadow feelings that... Um, that we were taught to sever off, we won't be able to relate to others' suffering. Uh, and if we can't relate to others' suffering, it's very little action, sustainable action can come from that. And, I mean, it's not our fault. It's not. It's nobody's fault that we are so... Uh, disconnected I mean we live in a society that has really dehumanized us and we have dehumanized ourselves we have disconnected from our own humanity from what we really are and it shows up in the way that we feel separate and superior or inferior to others or in the way that we feel enmeshed right um, and inferior so separate and superior or in, enmeshed and inferior, just kind of two sides of the same coin. And that's reflective of our own fragility towards the mystery of our own being reflected in the great unknown, the great unknown of, of life and the, the unknown within ourselves. I think for activism and acts of service to be truly authentic, there does need to be a dissolving of separateness that we feel towards others and towards our, our environment, towards nature. And in order to dissolve those boundary, boundaries, we need to dismantle all of those internalized narratives and infrastructures and systems of separation and hate and individuality and discrimination and oppression and control. I mean... It's basically shadow work. It's collective shadow work. And it's dense, right? It's not a one and done. It requires, again, patience and a tremendous amount of compassion. Compassion in this case, I don't mean... Um, in this case, compassion is surrendering. Surrendering to who is in so when we ask who is in who am i this is really about opening ourselves up to finding what's there right and meeting meeting what we find with curiosity and compassion and allowing what we find to be enough if we feel despair we let it be enough if we feel anger it's enough if we feel sh shame it's enough Whatever we find, grief, doubt, it's enough. 
And that doesn't mean that we have to uh, like it, right? Or, or want it. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean we have to be happy about it. It just means that we allow it to be what is. It, it is what it is. And however dark and messy and confusing and painful and uncomfortable it is, when we allow it to be without, you know, self-denial and judgment um, and resistance, when we, when we include that self-denial and that judgment and resistance into our experience, when we allow it to belong, then we stop expecting things from life and God and our spiritual practice and others. We stop expecting it to make us happy or make us feel good and in turn we develop a much deeper relationship with it because we dissolve the attachment because we no longer submit to the ego's wants and needs and desires and expectations and what's what's right right we develop a deep reverence for life for reality as it is and I promise you I hesitated there because I really don't like using that phrase nothing is promised or guaranteed except this (laughs) but all jokes aside whatever action that overflows from this isness will be deeply authentic and aligned with who you are and that's when you can really uh, blossom into the becoming becoming an individual so if you're feeling helpless over the state of the world and you feel despair about the future, and you feel afraid of your loss of control over reality, good. Not good that you're feeling that way, but good that you're feeling. Good that your heart is open. Good that your pain and your anger and your your grief is calling you in to be acknowledged. And good that you have this opportunity to connect deeply with your humanity because our humanity has been severed off i would say don't miss this opportunity by by numbing out or projecting it or compartmentalizing it and just focusing on the doing in a way that's not really sustainable so if you're in this space, uh, maybe you're not. I, I don't. I don't know. But if you are um, in this space, get really intimate with with this space. It because it it holds so much of you. So so many parts of you that have been that you've been forced to deny, and there's so much pain there that needed to be witnessed for me. 
and validated um, because it's painful to live in this society for the soul. Like this is not, this society is not kind to our being. Um, and it interferes with our depth of relating to ourselves and to the world. And it also leads to spiritual bypassing because, you know, spiritual bypassing is such a convenient escape from the heartache of what it means to be a person in this world, in this society, right? It, it like, it requires us to pick up all sorts of like survival and defense mechanisms and, and breaking out of that takes a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability and those qualities need to be built over time you can't rush it you can't rush it it's slow and steady and gentle way of getting comfortable with the discomfort and reclaiming those raw and bare parts of your being that have been severed so for me that's where the practice of sacred activism really begins uh, because we begin to reclaim those parts of our being that have been hijacked and stolen from the capitalist patriarchal hate machine and then we simultaneously begin to resist those forces and those power dynamics and that starts to show up differently you know for each person But we stop playing, right? We stop playing along with these games or we play them in a more conscious way, in a way where we are taking our power back and saying, no, I will not measure my worth to some standard that's been set by an algorithm. No, I will not participate in the culture war. No, I will not take advantage of my fellow humans just because I can and it's legal to no I will not subjugate others for my own success no I will not measure my success to the status quo of what it means to be successful no I will not get indoctrinated into a money cult and and really this is a process of being able to define yourself outside of the systems of outside of the status quo outside of capitalism outside of the patriarchy and outside of the infrastructures that frame our lives because they have placed so many boundaries around our being and and being able to a acknowledge that acknowledge the way that it's placed boundaries around your being which is the most important step is awareness right And then being able to liberate our psyche from these systems that have been hardwired into our way of experiencing ourselves and experiencing the world. And this is the inner work of the sacred activist, is the collective shadow work. And the quality of transformation that happens from the inside out is what overflows into the action part of it the sustained inspired action where you're like you know you don't have to strain yourself thinking about what to do because the doing is is just happens the manifestation to use that word that arises from a deep place of true surrender 
And I believe that this is really how you become an individual in this world and not let the world scare you or intimidate you or, or break you. So I want to end this with a small paragraph by Chogyam Trungpa in Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. Um, it's actually a few paragraphs. So I'm kind of I'm kind of jumping around, but it really ties Abo on what uh, I shared about um, about surrender. He has a very beautiful way of ex- of explaining surrender. So he says. Surrender means opening oneself completely, trying to get beyond fascination and expectation. Surrender also means acknowledging the raw, rugged, clumsy, and shocking qualities of one's ego, acknowledging them and surrendering them as well. Generally, we find it very difficult to give out and surrender our raw and rugged qualities of ego. Although we may hate ourselves, at the same time, we find our self-hatred a kind of occupation. In spite of the fact that we may dislike what we are and find that self-condemnation painful, still we cannot give it up completely. If we begin to give up our self-criticism, then we, then we may feel that we are losing our occupation, as though someone was taking away our job. We would have no further occupation if we were to surrender everything. There would be nothing to hold on to. Self-evaluation and self-criticism are basically neurotic tendencies which derive from our not having enough confidence in ourselves. Confidence in the sense of seeing what we are, knowing what we are, knowing that we can afford to be open. We can afford to surrender that raw and rugged neurotic quality of self and step out of fascination, step out of preconceived ideas. We must surrender our hopes and expectations as well as our fears and march directly into disappointment. Work with disappointment, go into it, make it our way of life, which is a very hard thing to do. Disappointment is a good sign of basic intelligence. It cannot be compared to anything else. It is so sharp, precise, obvious, and direct. If we can open, then we suddenly begin to see that our expectations are irrelevant compared with the reality of the situations we are facing. This automatically brings a feeling of disappointment. I love this sentence. I underlined it. Disappointment is the best chariot to use on the path of dharma. It does not confirm to the existence of our ego and its dreams. Disappointment is the best chariot to use on the path of dharma. It does not confirm the existence of our ego and its dreams. However, if we are involved with spiritual materialism, if we regard spirituality as a part of our accumulation of learning and virtue, if spirituality becomes a way of building ourselves up, then of course the whole process of surrendering is completely distorted. If we find, if we regard spirituality as a way of making ourselves comfortable, then whenever we experience something unpleasant, a disappointment, we try to rationalize it. 
Surrendering is not a question of being low and stupid, nor of wanting to be elevated and profound. It has nothing to do with levels and evaluation. Instead, we surrender because we would like to communicate with the world as it is. We do not have to classify ourselves as learners or ignorant people. We know where we stand. Therefore, we make the gesture of surrendering, of opening, which means communication, link, direct communication with the object of our surrendering. We are not embarrassed about our rich collection of raw, rugged, beautiful, and clean qualities. We present everything to the object of our surrendering. The basic act of surrender does not involve the worship of an external power. Rather, it means working together with inspiration so that one becomes an open vessel into which knowledge can be poured. Thus, surrendering and openness are the necessary preparations for working with a spiritual friend. He means a mentor. He, this chapter was about that as well. Um, we acknowledge our fundamental richness rather than bemoan the imagined poverty of our being. We know we are worthy to receive the teachings, worthy of relating ourselves to the wealth of opportunities for learning. So this also speaks to the process of conscious manifestation that working together with inspiration so i invite you to open yourselves up to the wealth of opportunities for learning and meet yourself where you are if there is a sense of loss there for you perhaps a loss of an identity or a loss of a plan or a sense of control, maybe loss of a sense of freedom, any loss that you might be feeling, grieve it, allow it to allow yourself to grieve whatever you need to grieve and find communities of care. Uh, don't isolate yourself, relate to others and find stability and comfort and safety in your relationships invest in your relationships and um, I found that journaling really helped me process my feelings and and like you know integrate um, so hang in there build skills for resilience there's a great time for that as well skills for nonviolent communication so you can learn how to really articulate yourself um, because things are going to get more stable, destabilizing, I'm afraid. So take care of yourselves. Pour a lot into your self-care. Give yourself the medicine that you need to prepare for this next stage of evolution for you. Which, for us, um, which is, you know, it's terrifying. But it's, it's also exciting because we get to create something better and sustainable together and we're not alone and you know not to be idealistic about it but I do believe in us I believe in I believe in humanity um I have faith um because I am a woman of God and I have faith and I love my fellow humans I I still I share in their suffering and 
I can still feel cautiously optimistic about the future. Um, so that's where I'm at. And that is really helping me show up every day with a lot of inspiration and, and joy and creative flow and also love. My relationships have have been the best um are the best that they've ever been like my relationship with myself and with with others my partner and I just feel so much more integrated um yeah it's you know I I still want to avoid feeling like painful states um but I also find myself like deeply nourished and enriched by them um I've, I've, you know, I've, I've discovered qualities of anger and grief that are actually quite sacred and unique to my self-expression and have really become a part of my prayer. And I, I, I wish the same for you. Just one last note here. As many of us are starting to outgrow the, you know, new age bubble starting to outgrow these infrastructures of hate and violence and doing our, our, our own inner dismantling. Obviously, it's going to be feel really uncomfortable and we can feel embarrassed and that's normal too, um, to a certain point. So, you know, it makes us contract like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm I can't how I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I fell for that. How could I be so stupid? How could I be so ignorant? And there's a couple of ways to handle that. One, you can internalize those voices on top of all the other shit and feel tremendous amounts of shame which will threaten your self-worth and if you're already struggling with self-worth it's going to exacerbate it and it's going to kind of uh, inhibit you it's going to weigh you down you're not going to really be able to do anything you're not going to be able to show up maybe not even show up to learn because it takes so much energy that shame it like really takes takes everything from you it's the it's the most useless and and violent actually emotion which it's not even an emotion it's a psychic mechanism i have a i've done a ton of guilt and shame research i actually have a digital course coming out that I'm really excited about to share the, the, the method that helped me eradicate my shame because it's just such a useless emotion. I mean, Brene Brown talks about it too. She's, she talks about how shame is the antidote of vulnerability. So if you're feeling shame and you're struggling with feelings of shame, it's going to challenge your self-worth. It's going to exacerbate it if you already struggle. And you're not going to be able to access that depth of vulnerability that you need to stay open and hold all of that suffering 
your all that pain right luckily for me like i when i went through the thick of my political awakening during the war luckily i had already reached the point where i had eradicated shame completely and so i know that despite like i've when i was spiritually bypassing i was like very harmful to myself mostly and and my near and dear my loved ones um just really dismissive and manipulative and controlling yeah it was i was i'm not you know <laughs> not proud of that but i'm not ashamed by it either because i mean that's learning right i was learning and of course then there's making reparations right because of the guilt so guilt is actually a useful emotion so if you're going to feel shame try to transfer it into guilt cuz guilt can actually catalyze us into making reparations showing up um of course there there's actually a limit to that as well it can't be like debilitating guilt but like a little healthy amount of guilt is actually needed um it inspires us into action so yeah i mean i'm not even going to get into that the guilt and shame conversation because that's a whole another podcast that that's actually a course so all this to say if you feel those you know, judgmental voices coming in, telling you you're telling you you're an idiot. I mean, you know if it's how how much you believe that, right? Like you you know if that's because sometimes like I, I I talk to myself like that, right? Like, ah, oh, Satva, you're, or you're 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 such an idiot. You're such a fucking idiot. I mean, I say that to my cat. Like you you you're such a fucking ignorant fool. You know. But it's like, it's totally playful and actually it's one of my ways that I deal with that mechanism is kind of like joke about it. And yeah, there's a, there's not an internalization of that voice, right? So I want you to watch out for that and, and don't give space to it and alchemize that into a joy for growth and learning and if it's you know sitting with you and it's discomfort uh, discomforting see if you can tap into the guilt that's there and any reparations that you feel could help this the uh the mending of it and you know i don't believe in this idea of like forgiving yourself like just like blindly for everything i mean that guilt mechanism is there for a reason right it's actually there to help us so that we can function in society and know how to repair our mistakes because we are going to make mistakes inevitably all the time so how we repair those mistakes and our actions moving forward 
is what actually matters. And so, yeah, just recommending that um, if you struggle with issues around self-worth, take care of that, um, heal that, because that is going to prevent you from being able to fully show up. Because the, the soul is not joyful when it's not feeling worthy, right? And, and, our, and we, or the soul needs to radiate joy for the cause. Because that is what's going to inspire the wholesome and sustainable and long-term and fulfilling and nourishing action. And that's it, my fellow seeker. I hope that this was helpful for you. I would love to hear how it landed for you. Um, if you feel like sharing your thoughts, whatever came up for you uh, while you were listening to this. Um, and just know that the, whatever I talked about, I mean, I touched on a lot of things, probably too many things. Um, but, you know, e- each one, each of the topics that I that I touched on really does deserve a a in-depth discussion and so obviously this conversation is tip of the iceberg we're gonna keep going with it um there's gonna be you know a political awakening 102 and a 103 and I don't know how many but it's part of the entire journey that we are taking together and I feel like we're just starting so if any of the topics that I discussed, you were like, ooh, like I want to know more about that, let me know and I'm happy to, you know, create more content around that um, that is uh, relevant to you, that speaks to you. So I, I will leave you with that. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for this hour. Um, I look forward to sharing more and I will talk to you soon. Till next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Authentic Life Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Seeking with Satwa on Instagram. Seeking with Satwa is an international spiritual development brand that has helped thousands of seekers heal, grow, and consciously evolve on their journeys. To learn more about my work, to sign up for my authentic life newsletter, to read my blog posts, or to work with me one-on-one, visit my website at seekingwithsatwa.com. Stay tuned for some exciting new updates, offerings, and guest speakers coming your way soon. Until next time, keep going, keep growing, keep seeking and speaking your truth so that you can finally live an authentic life. Thank you.